Welcome to Brave Knitting. This is episode 20 to be released on July 15th, 2020. This is Linda, and I am here today with Pat. Pat, what are we being brave about? We're going to be brave about color work, Linda. Woohoo! Yes. And we should be really good at this because we just recorded this episode and somebody, like me, did not properly hit the record button on Zoom. And so it didn't record Pat's voice. So we're doing this another time. So this is going to be great. It is. <laughs> All right. So first let's talk about the different types of color work. Okay. So color work, there's one called stranded color work. And that's where multiple colors, usually two, are used in a single row to create a pattern. And it's called stranded because you're carrying yarn, okay? There's many different styles of stranded. The one I just would like to focus on though, and I think sometimes the words are used interchangeably, is Fair Isle. But Fair Isle is a particular kind of stranded that originated in the Shetland Islands off Scotland. And it has, it's characterized by a couple of things that kind of appeal to me actually. One is you only use two colors per row and you carry a float is a very limited number of stitches. So you, you, you don't have long floats. You have very short little floats. It has common motifs. The one that kind of appeals to me is called a Piri motif, which is a band of pattern that only the pattern is only three to five rows. So Piri, P-E-E-R-I-E -E, means small. So these are small bands. Um, their colors are not limited just to two in the whole pattern or the whatever. Sometimes they can go up to 10 colors. So that is a type of stranded color work, Linda. Okay. Intarsia is another one that we hear about a lot. And intarsia, you're, the, different, the main difference between stranded and intarsia is with intarsia, you are not st stranding that, that second color behind whatever you're, you are doing. You may do that for parts of intarsia, but, but not, not the whole garment. The best example of intarsia and how to think of it is an argyle sock would be intarsia. It's where you have a, a block of a color kind of together. Um, a, a lot of children's items that may have like a character on the front of a sweater, that would be intarsia, where you would knit across in the background color. And then when you get to Mickey Mouse or whatever the character mm -hmm. is, you know, you pick up a new color of yarn and then you, you knit with that um, and, and not stranding the the background color. And mosaic is currently my favorite way to do color work because it's almost like cheating because you only use one color at a time. And in mosaic, you are knitting with a new color or an old color. <laughs> and <laughs> The way you get the color work on the same row is that you slip stitches. So if the color below you was a, a different color, you slip that stitch and it's on your needle with the color you're knitting with, which is a different color. So that's how you get 
two colors without having to hold two colors at the same time to knit them. And, and I've actually done three mosaic projects recently and, and really enjoy it. There's some very creative new mosaic coming out these days. Um, when I was trying to figure out the history of mosaic and to figure out when it really came about, it wasn't totally clear to me. It appears that Barbara Walker made it very popular. I can't remember if this was in the 60s or 70s, but Barbara Walker was, she was well known as a knitting writer and teacher, but she was also a very well-respected journalist and feminist outside of the knitting world. And I believe she is still alive today. If she indeed is alive, she would be 90 years old. But she, you'll find many um, resources related to mosaic knitting referring to Barbara Walker. So there's another type of color work that um, you're not stranding the colors and it's called shadow knitting, Linda, or another word for it is illusion knitting. And it's an easy, fun technique you use two different colors and you knit two rows in each color. So um, you have a front and a back. It's, and normally it looks like stripes. And so from one angle you see stripes. And then when you look at it from another, you see an image. And the, the image is created by the color as it appears on the top of a ridge is what I read. I've never done it, but I did go on Ravelry. And if you look at um, on Ravelry, there's many patterns there and you'll get an idea of what it looks like. It looks like it would be fun. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I had not heard of it. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, and I have not gone out and looked at examples of it yet, but I, I will do that and I will add them to our show notes so people can see what you're talking about. It, sound, it sounds really interesting. Uh, another... Uh, two-color method is double knitting, and this is essentially where you are knitting two pieces of fabric at the same time that are back-to-back, -back. so you are sort of creating a double layer, and okay. the only time I have done this was in a class, uh, kind of a mini class, a little workshop at one of our Dallas Knitting Guild meetings uh, a while back, I think it was last fall, where this local um, gentleman who I think he was like a, he was some sort of a high school science teacher, but, but he was a knitter and he had perfected double knitting and, and I guess was well known for double knitting. And he was a great teacher and he gave us a little class and we made a little, I think we made a little like coaster that was in the shape of the state of Texas. So, you know, you had a chart that you followed. And so what happened is, and I don't know if all double knitting is like this, but in this example, if you think of having it like think of the state of Texas or a heart or something and you have the background and say white and then the, the heart or whatever thing you're knitting um, in red on the opposite side you would see the the inverse so you would see the, the background in red and then the the item in okay. in white and I, I, I was able to follow along what, what he was doing. I mean, it took me a little bit, but, you know, it was a short period of time, 20, 30 minutes that he did this. And, and I was able to catch on and, and get the drift of it. I would have liked to have kind of kept with that project and actually finished it and maybe tried something else. But at the time, it was right before Christmas, and I was sort of knee-deep in a lot of other projects and kind of put it aside. But, but I would really like to revisit double knitting where you 
um, you know, you're essentially knitting two layers simultaneously. It's pretty cool. So one that I have actually done, I did a uh, hat for a charity project. It is called Helix Knitting. And it's a, it's a technique where you're knitting uh, single row stripes in the round. And you can use two or more colors. But the reason I think it's such a cool technique is you don't, when you, when you change color, you don't, uh, you're not doing it in the same place. So you don't, there's not a jog. It looks like a seamless series of stripes as they go around and around. Um, it's kind of a spiral, right? Yes, a spiral. Thank you. Um, because we, yes, um, it's funny, I think the, the month right before or right after we did the double knitting workshop in our guild meeting, we had somebody came and taught us how to do helix. Oh, really? Yeah. So if anyone in our audience is interested, there's a really good uh, tutorial uh, an explanation on Pearl Soho that I would recommend. Okay, great. And then the last color method we're going to talk about is brioche. Now, not all brioche is more than one color, but two color brioche is very popular. And kind of like mosaic, you aren't, and I, I think I'm right on this one, you aren't actually using the same color, two colors at the same time. So you aren't having to use, you know, two different hands or hold two different colors of yarn in right. one hand. But, you know, you are able to get a really interesting effect with kind of one color on one side and one color on the other, but yet the way that, that the brioche stitch is done, you get a hint of that other color even on the, the opposite side. So I have done some some two-color brioche. I did a class on it one time, and then I did a little project that ended up having so many misbehaves, I finally frogged it because it was just not working out well for me. But So, Linda, do you end up with a fabric that both either side is presentable? Yeah. Could be yes. the right side? Yes. Like the project I was doing was just a sim very simple scar for my son, and I was using all of the colors. He was a student at the University of Notre Dame and I was I was using gold and blue and green and gray and white and all these colors that oh. the school uses. And I was using different combinations of them at different parts of the scarf. And so but yeah, so it's great for, for things like scarves. I think that's probably the thing you see it most frequently in because you basically have you know something that's reversible and looks great on both sides. But which would be great for a scarf to not have a wrong side. Right. And it's been a long time since I've done brioche now. And I know that when you're doing brioche, there's sort of this mantra of the stitch that you have to do. And I have to keep repeating it in my head to, to do it. Um, but I haven't done it for a while. Um, our other podcaster, B, is really, she's, she really likes brioche. And so maybe in the future, she and I will do a, an episode um, delving well, that would more be into brioche. Yes. All right. So... What else do we need to consider as we embark on color work? Well, how about the color itself? So there are, there are books you can read on color theory, and there are lots of great sources out there that you know, give you some inspiration about combining colors for color work. But 
this episode, we're going to kind of focus on kind of like color work 101. We're just going to touch the surface of some of these basics that you need to know about. And when it comes to color, you need to understand the difference between value and hue. Now, hue is what we traditionally think about as the actual color. You know, is it red? Is it green? Is it blue? And value is the lightness or darkness in the color. So basically how, you know, where it is on the grayscale. And what happens if you don't have some difference in value in the yarns that you're using, that your colors will, when you're doing your fair isle or stranded color work, they'll kind of meld together and you won't get the contrast you need uh, to, to really kind of see the pattern. Okay. Now the easiest way to determine if what you're looking at is going to work to determine the color value, if the color values are different enough to, to make a difference is using the black and white setting on your phone. Because you could have two colors that, you know, you're looking at and you think, oh, these, these are contrasting really nicely together. But if they indeed are the same value, um, mm. they may work on some projects, but on a traditional fair aisle, they tend to, they tend to kind of muddy together and they, they tend to kind of, I've heard people refer to it as sort of browning together that, you know, that everything just sort of looks brown if you've just mixed too many things of the same value. So be aware of value. So you're looking for contrast. You're looking for some contrast in the value. Yeah. You want lighter in the, in and the darker, okay. right? Um, and besides the, the, the using the black and white setting on your phone, which I think is the easiest way, a lot of people um, say that it's squinting at the colors and squinting at the yarns, they can d determine value also. Okay. I haven't really tried that, so I don't know. <laughs> Another consideration when you're thinking about, well, how am I going to do my color work project is, is are, we, are you going to knit it in the round or are you going to knit flat? Okay. And specifically, I'm going to talk when you're doing stranded, and I'll ask you if it makes a difference for something like mosaic. Typically, I think the most common way to do stranded color work where you're carrying yarns is to do it in the round, which means you're only knitting, you're not purling. Because a lot of people believe that knitting, knitting is easier and um, than purling and right. is faster. I think that's the main reason that people choose to they do color prefer, work in the, that, that they just can't really purl. Color, they can't, yeah, they can't purl with two colors. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do stranded work in the flat where they're knitting the pieces flat and they're, you know, they're, they're purling and carrying right. those, the yarns. When I was doing the, the history of knitting report, I was surprised to learn, I had, I just assumed that working fair isle in the round and working standard color work in the round and steaking was just what was traditionally done. But what I found is that, that actually, I guess in the past, there was a lot of flat two color knitting going on. So yes. I guess it can be done. I, it, I can't seem to do it well. Well, I, I think braver. <laughs> right now I'm trying to master just doing two colors, stranded two colors in the round. I'm trying to still master that. In knitting, yeah. Yes, knitting. <laughs> right. 
Um, what so about threads? Thread dominance is something that you read about a lot. And the, the thing you have to remember is that the dominant color you want to strand below the background color. Now, there are a lot of ways to determine, you know, which color you want to be dominant. Normally, if you have a background and you and there's a design, the design color is the one you want to be dominant. So that is the one that you want to strand below the the background. And if you're doing two-handed knitting, you want the dominant color to be in your left hand. Now, okay. personally, I I don't see a big difference. And a lot of it may just have to do with the particular pattern. I, I, I looked at a book recently that showed some examples of, of the dominance where it did like the same color yarns and did it both ways. And <laughs> to my eye, it didn't look really that different. And when I did my little, I'm working on a Fair Isle project right now and I did my swatch for it, I kind of experimented with that dominant color and you know did it one way and then did it the other and I couldn't I couldn't really tell a big difference but if you're going to be correct and if you know you have a better eye for that than I do then you just need to remember that left hand is dominant dominant color strands below the background I've also read that you just another important thing is you have to be consistent yes Yes, I think you that's, make probably, the that's decision. probably more important than the than yeah. And yeah, you you you're consistent in what which one you carry uh, in in either hand, and and you keep that consistency. And speaking of hands, a lot of people uh, do stranded with one hand, where they're carrying the yarn in in either both both strands in the right or both strands in the left. Right. That's one method of carrying the yarn. The other is that you carry each color in opposite hands, which for those of us who've never, I, maybe for me, that was a hurdle because I'm a thrower. And so using my left hand in the beginning was really awkward. Uh, I yeah. think Susan B. Anderson's class that we took at Vogue Knitting Live, which was a color work class, and I was forcing myself during that whole class to use both hands. And since that time I've come home, I've practiced a lot and it, it's really helped. I mean, it, I feel more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. And I wish I could offer some better advice to people. But for me, I think it was just practice that my color work has always been bad and I, I know I joked, I've talked about it before, but I, I, was trying to do some Christmas gifts a couple years ago and made some um, Arna and Car Carlos Christmas balls. And well, I made one. And it was so horrible that you're the only person I could send it to because you would appreciate the, the effort that went into my bad knitting. But, but, you know, I've done three color work projects in the last few months, stranded color work projects. And I've improved a lot. So I think it's just practice makes perfect. So just be brave and, and stick to it is what I would say. Exactly. Hang in there. Don't be discouraged. Yes. 
Right. And then probably the other, you know, sort of basic lesson about stranded color work that you want to know is dealing with floats. And a float is the yarn that you are not knitting with that essentially floats behind the yarn that you are knitting with. And if you are knitting for five stitches or less, you don't really have to worry about the float. You just let it hang out back there and then when you pick it up again, it generally is not too tight. What happens is when you go for a longer uh, period of stitches, if you have seven or 10 or 12, that, that means that float gets really long and there's a tendency to, for it to be tighter than the yarn that you're working with. So in that case, you want to, what they call catch the float. So it, you know, every fourth or fifth stitch, you want to essentially wrap the working yarn around the yarn that is floating behind so that it, it kind of catches um, back there and, and doesn't get to be too long. Um, so that's the rule of thumb. There are other ways of kind of dealing with, with that tightness that you might get. You know, and one of them is when you're knitting in the round, if you have the floats going on the outside of the, the piece, so when you're, you're knitting in the round, you're sort of knitting in the internal circle. And the, have, you, the, have you done that? I've never tried it. Yeah, I tend to do that anyway when I'm working on two circular needles because when I'm working on, and I do a lot of my small in the round stuff on two circulars, because I find it a little easier than doing magic loop or double pointed, that the way the, the, the needle that I'm not using dangles is better if I turn things inside out so that, so that the wrong side is essentially on the outside and I'm you know knitting on the inside. That means the, the needle that I'm not using is sort of the points are dangling forward, okay. you know, away from my body rather than hitting me in the chest. <laughs> but but that's a little that's a little trick to help um, help with that tension problem on those stranded yarns is to put that on the outside. There are other there are other tips too. The other thing you can do is every few stitches kind of spread out the stitches on your right hand needle just, you know, spread them out and so that that yarn behind kind of gets pulled a little longer <clears throat> so that, um, you know, what you're trying to avoid is making it, it too tight. You don't want it to pucker, right? When you you're don't want done. it to pucker, no. Okay. So yarn. does yarn make a difference, Linda? <sighs> you can use any yarn you want because you are brave, but you can use any <laughs> yarn you want for color work. However... You may yes. get better results <laughs> <laughs> if you use a wool non-superwash yarn. Okay. That is my experience. Um, and I think the main reason, I've kind of figured out, tried to figure out, well, you know, why is this exactly? And I think it's two things. I think it's the stickiness of the yarn. Okay. That when you're knitting these two colors, they just kind of stick together a little bit nicer and make it look a little smoother. But, but I think more importantly is that that, that non-superwash wool blocks really nicely. So when you run into these tension problems and some of these other issues you have when you're doing color work, that 
once again, the magic of blocking erases a lot of those because that yarn okay. is more malleable. I, um, I'm, I'm anxious to block my latest color work um, project to, to see how it will come out. Okay. You know, to see if it will, as you say, uh, blend better or enter, you know, touch each other and. Right. Yeah. Those, those stitches just sort of relax a little bit. Right. And I think what's, what's happening with, with block, you know, once again, the magic of blocking and, you know, not to say you can't block cotton or acrylic or some superwash, but you just, you just don't get the same results. You just don't so, get that. I know you've been doing a lot of color work. Do you have some favorite yarns that you would recommend? I do have some favorites. And most of them I've talked about before, so I'm going to go through this list pretty quickly. But um, first is Morehouse Farm, which is a yarn that we bought at Vogue Knitting Live when we met the adorable sisters who, um, I guess, run that company. And Morehouse Farm, as luck would have it, when I went to their site last week to look up some things, they have just started on July 10th a knit-along for a colorwork Fair Isle hat. And so once I heard that, I think I found out about this on July 8th, but I, I rounded up the leftover yarn I had from the sweater that I made with the Morehouse yarn, um, Morehouse Farm yarn. And I had enough to do this hat and I cast on along with the knit along on July 10th. And they, they're doing this knit along on a, a Facebook group. So it's very easy to, to join in if you're listening to this in July of 2020. Now, they did start on July 10th, but it's going for um, a month, and it's only a hat. So I think there's time for people to, to jump in a little bit late and still not feel left out. And you can still read all the comments and see other people posting photos of, of what they're doing. And um, so I, But I do love that yarn. I made my Oranje sweater, number two, out of that because number one got frogged. And I love it. It's very soft. It's, the colors are beautiful, and it's really a delight to work with. Um, Stonehenge Fibers is another one I've talked about frequently on the podcast. They're shepherd's wool, which is a worsted weight. Very economical, very, very nice yarn. Brooklyn Tweed. I think all of their yarns, most of their wool yarns, are indeed non-superwash. Germantown by Kelborne Woolens is another very economical, worsted weight, non-superwash wool that um, the hat I made you as a Christmas gift was out of that. Oh, okay. And I, I made another hat for myself. Then another very economical option for fingering weight is the palette by Knitpick. And it comes in a million colors. And it's either $2.99 or $3.99 for a 50-gram skein. And I personally don't love this yarn, but I think for what it is, it's, it's a very good option because of the amount of colors. So if you're doing some sort of project and you're new at knitting color work and maybe you don't want to invest a lot of money, I think the palette is probably um, a good option. For me, I found it... Um, I found it a little splitty and just not as lovely as some of these much more expensive yarns that I've been um, working with lately. Quince and Company also 
has a great lineup of non-superwash. Blue Sky Fibers is one that I have not used, but it's on my wish list. They're uh, Woolstock, which is a worsted weight. And then another company I just became aware of is Brown Sheep, and they are another very affordable non-superwash wool that comes in a lot of colors. I ordered a skein from them last week, and I have received it, but I have not swatched with it yet. But all good options. A lot of options, yeah. actually. So I have a couple of favorites. Also, I have been using Jameson's Shetland Heather. It's an Aran weight for this fisherman sweater I'm making. And there's, uh, it's from Scotland, um, the yarn. And there's two Jamesons. There's the Jamesons Shetland, and then there's Jamesons and Smith, which is on my wish list because I want to try a different weight, and I'm going to try their two-ply jumper. Comes in a bunch of different colors. Um, another favorite that I recently used was Rowan Felted Tweed. Oh, yeah. And... Um, it was uh, as a result of Cafe um, Facets actually designed this, this uh, colorway, several colorways, different colors for Rowan. And it's what I knitted with. Um, but it's, it is a merino and uh, alpaca. Lovely, lovely to knit with. Just, it's a tweed and some people maybe don't, prefer a tweed, I, I didn't mind it at all. These colors are so vibrant that the tweed didn't distract from the color. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I normally don't like a tweed either, but I think they have some really beautiful colors. And, and I bought um, some at Vogue Knitting Live that I have not used yet, but I have it, I actually have it queued up to use combined with some of my favorite spin cycle dyed in the wool to, um, <laughs> I think it's a, a cowl project. So I'm anxious to, to try it. I haven't tried it yet. So there's, there's one shout out I want to give and I haven't ordered it yet, but I'm going to, and it is actually, it is actually a fingering, um, Shetland sheep that is raised here in the United States in Montana. And it is called elemental effects Shetland and it's uh, produced by Tolt Yarns and Wool, a new company to me. I hadn't heard of them, T-O-L-T, but um, I haven't heard of them either. Yeah, I, I would. So I was out on their website and, um, you know, they have more than this, the Shetland, but it looks like it is a great source for uh, all wool yarns. And okay, good to know. So people might want to check that out. So do we have some favorite designers? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I've been, as people probably know from our last podcast, I've been on a Fair Isle um, adventure, just looking at and trying to decide. And I found a couple of, one particular designer, her name is uh, Marie Wallen, who is an English designer. And I know you're familiar with her. We all are, those of us who because she's a favorite of Andrea's from Fruity Knitting. Right. And, that's, that's how I, you know, I see these beautiful sweaters that Andrea knits. I, I personally have not attempted any Marie Wallet designs. I think, I, I, think I, I have to be really brave to do that. 
I actually, I love her website, um, but she is someone who, you know, she, she is a pattern designer. She also publishes her own books. She has her own yarn. She does kits. She has workshops. Um, and she's even got a Fair Isle club. So it's a, her patterns are really intricate. So it's not for everybody, you know, but I, I was really fascinated by her. The other designer that I had not been familiar with that I really found that interests me, and her name is Kate Davies, D-A-V-I-E-S. She's actually a Scottish designer, and she has an interesting story. When she was 36 years old, she suffered a stroke. And basically, when she was recovering from that stroke, it ended her career as a literary academic, but while she was recovering, she started designing digital knitting patterns. And from that, she's taken off, she's got her own design company called, you know, Kate Davies Design. And again, someone else with her own patterns, her own yarn, her husband's a photographer, there's beautiful photographs on our website. Um, her patterns, Linda, might appeal to you more because they're, they're not, they're, they seem to be more modern than the typical Fair Isle. Yeah, I can't wait to check her out. Sounds really interesting. So, what about you? What do you have that you go to? Well, none of the people that I'm going to talk about are what I would call my go-tos. They're just, um, one of them is somebody brand new to me. But the, the first one is a woman named Harriet Middleton. And Harriet is a woman who lives in the Shetland Islands. And I guess a few years ago, she was had some sort of illness where she required going to the United Kingdom mainland every three months for over two years to get an MRI scan because there is no MRI on the Shetland Islands. So she decided to take her knitting skills and put them to work to help raise money for getting an MRI in, um, in the Shetland Islands. So she has written a pattern for a hat called Harriet's Hat. There's also a matching headband, a cowl, some mittens, some fingerless mitts, and some gloves, all with kind of coordinating similar pattern. And I first saw this pattern when we were visiting Vogue Knitting Live and at the Morehouse Farm booth, and they had done the hat and I, I was attracted to the hat, I think mainly because of the, the colors. And the main color is kind of a royal blue, which is right up my alley. And it's just a really, really, of, of all the Fair Isle hat designs I'm seeing, I think it's my favorite. So I, I don't think that Harriet Middleton is, is a known knitwear designer, because other than these patterns that she's done that raise money for the MRI... Um, I'm not aware of any other design that she has done. But anyway, I love the pattern. I think it's a really good cause to help the Shetland Islands get their MRI scanner. So go out and buy that hat from Harriet. <laughs> the, uh, the second one designer that I have admired her to work for a long time is Jennifer Steingass. And she is a designer in rural Maine. And I love her designs because she has these Fair Isle sweaters that they're, I guess they're not really Fair Isle. They're, they're stranded 
yoke work. Uh, her sweaters are mainly solid color, but they have this color work in the yoke. And they just have very, what I would once again consider kind of unique and modern looking designs. The, the hinterland is one that you and I saw quite frequently when we were at Vogue Knitting Live. A lot of people were wearing it. There's another one called Meadow Moon that I really enjoy. There's a, she has a design called Garden Gate. She has 28 different sweaters that all have these. The color work yokes, you mean? The color work yoke sweaters. Yeah, there's 28 wow. different ones. And when you go online and you look at them, it's kind of hard to choose which is your favorite. But they're all really, really pretty. And I just, I, and I also appreciate the fact that in several of them, she has used the spin cycle dyed in the wool yarn as the contrasting color. So that's always right up my alley. But my new favorite designer is Andrea Rangel. And I hope I pr I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's R-A-N-G-E-L. And I discovered Andrea last week. I've had a sweater of hers called the Descent Sweater in my favorites for quite a while. But it wasn't until last week that I ventured to her website that I uncovered what I consider just a treasure trove of knitting goodness. Um, first off, her website is just beautiful. The photography is really, really exquisite. And she has some, she has a blog and she has some tutorials that give some great information. She's published, I think, at least two books. And she has, obviously, her patterns are on her website. And, but the, one of the things that really caught my attention is under, under the blog tab, she has this thing called the Swatch Project, which I didn't really know what that was, but I clicked on it. And under the swatch project, she's reviewing yarns. So she Ooh. knits swatches and, you know, is reviewing the yarns and really detailed, informative reviews of these yarns. So okay. brought a lot of them to my attention. So I, I'm very, very excited about discovering Andrea Rangel. Oh, and I, did I mention? Oh, she, okay, here's the fun thing. She lives on Vancouver Island, and one of my very best friends lives on Vancouver Island. Hi, Chris. I know Chris listens to us. Like, on the day that we release our podcast, Chris always listens. She's a knitter, too. But I, t I texted Chris, and I said, okay, I, do you know this person? Because I'm sure everybody that lives on Vancouver Island knows each other. But whenever this pandemic is over and Canada allows me to enter their country, I'm going to go visit my friend Chris and... I guess we'll be stalking Andrea Rangel. <laughs> I think you'll definitely be stalking Andrea. Yes. Oh, okay. But here's the funny thing is that I mentioned that this Descent sweater of hers has been in my queue for a long time. It's a very pretty, pretty sweater. But it wasn't until I read about it why it's called Descent is that it is named for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I just... And it, it is, it does kind of, it is reminiscent of the, like the little lace doily kind of collars that, okay. that Ruth is famous for wearing. And I just thought it was funny that somebody from a different country would be modeling 
and, and naming knitwear um, after one of our Supreme Court justices. But it could be that she's maybe a transplanted American living on Vancouver Island. I don't know. But anyway, it's a gorgeous sweater, gorgeous site. Go, go visit Andrea Wrangell. Okay. You piqued my interest. I'll do it. Okay. So what are you raving about? So I, uh, I'm raving about um, a little booklet here uh, by MDK, Modern Daily Knitting. Uh, they produce field guides. And this one really caught my eye. And I, for a long time, it was like, I have to order it. I want to order it. But I also wanted to order the yarn because it's called Masterclass. And it's actually like taking a class with um, Cafe Facet, who's the well-known designer. He's been around for a long, long time, known for his color work. And he actually, these are his patterns. And so this is a great little book for somebody who doesn't want to jump into doing a color work sweater, but maybe would love to do a color work project. And there's uh, a lot of them are stripes are based on stripes. There's also stranded color work in there. A lot of charts, things you can mix and match. So there's, you know, scarves and uh, cows, uh, pillow tops or pillows, throws, shawls. Um, it's just delightful. Um, and I actually did a project from there and actually used the yarn that he designed for Rowan which was the felted tweet I mentioned earlier. Oh, fabulous. So those are his colors. So, okay. Fun little book. What about you? Well, I am also raving about a book and this one is by, can you guess it? Andrea <laughs> Rangel. <laughs> I know, seriously, Andrea is not paying me to do this, but I, I just love her. And I ordered this book last week from Amazon. It came, you know, like within 18 hours, I think of when I ordered it. It's called Alter Knit, A-L-T-E-R-K-N-I-T. And it, I bought it because it's kind of touted as a stitch dictionary with 200 modern knitting motifs. And after seeing Andrea's Descent sweater and seeing this sort of unique but very simple modern motif for the Descent sweater, I kind of thought, oh, I'll bet she has some great ideas for things that for some stranded knitting that are probably more up my aisle than maybe traditional fair aisle. So I bought it as a stitch dictionary. But when the book arrived, it indeed has these beautiful, unique um, color work designs, stitch designs. And I love those. And they're beautiful illustrations and colors of those. But the book also is chock full of good information about color work in general. There's a chapter on color theory. There's illustrations and several different methods of how to hold your yarn, you know, one-handed or one or the other, you know, if you want to hold both yarns in one hand or two-handed. There's a whole chapter <clears throat> about floats. There's lots of illustration um, about several methods on how to catch different ways of catching floats. There's a chapter on swatching and reading charts and color dominance and steaking, which we're going to be talking about in our next episode. 
And then there's a section called Tips for Better Color Work. So all really, really good information, just as fantastic as Andrea's website. So I highly recommend Alter Knits. Okay. What's misbehaving for you? Well, I've been only knitting one thing, and that is the fisherman's sweater. And I had an opportunity uh, to have to speed it up. Uh, it's knit in pieces. I'm knitting it flat. It's uh, because I was going to see my son-in-law, and I wanted to, I wanted to have a, a fitting. So I've been knitting like crazy, and I've gotten really sloppy. I actually call it <laughs> a stupor, actually, because there's a panel of seed stitches. There's several panels. So the cables next to the very intricate cable pattern will be a seed stitch panel. And I find that what I'm doing, because this, this particular seed stitch in this pattern, Linda, one row you are uh, knitting the pearls and purling the knits. On the opposite row, the second row, you're knitting the knits and purling the pearls. And I am finding that I lose track of which row I'm on and I'm doing, I'm, I'm knitting incorrect. I'm knitting those stitch wrong. So I'm like a, you know, it's, I just have a big tangled mess because the stitches are not oriented correctly. Right. So that, that's I, confusing. And that, I, I find that really interesting. I've never heard of a seed stitch that, that was knit that way. I'm, I'm curious as to how it looks different from a regular seed stitch. Well, and I, now that you mentioned that, I will go check out uh, the more, the seed stitch that you're talking about, because I'm wondering if it has anything to do with how old this pattern is. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I know just, either, but that, I, yeah. I'm just saying that my misbehave is I am continually not keeping track of where I'm at and I'm doing, I'm doing the stitch incorrect or I'm doing the stitch wrong on the row. Right. Is what I'm doing. Okay. So. And, but you figured out a save to help. I did. With that. I have a save for it and, and it's a simple one, but it was, there was no way I was going to unknit, uh, back down a road to, to where the mistake is. And I found that I can individually take a stitch off the needle, pull it out using a crochet hook. I can correct it and then put it back on the needle. Okay. <laughs> so it, it, it works for me. And maybe the fact that this yarn I'm using is a very sticky wool. It's a hundred percent wool, very sticky. I mean, nothing right. slips right. I don't have to worry about losing stitches right so yeah that's one of the, one of the things I really like about the sticky yarns is that I am a little less paranoid about would something you know and that happens occasionally where things fly off my needle but at least when they fly <laughs> off the needle I can I can get them back on right exactly what well, about you my misbehave has to do with a color work sweater that I did a couple months ago the Noten that I talked about for a long time on the podcast and I finally finished. It was the one that I did in the bamboo cotton yarn. And normally when you're doing Fair Isle, it is recommended that you go up a needle size when you're doing the, the Fair Isle section. If you're doing a sweater, let's say, that is you know mainly stockinette, but just has a portion maybe of the yoke of being Fair Isle, you go up a needle size 
because your tension tends to be tighter when you're working with two colors. Right. I chose, I purposely chose not to go up a needle size when I did this color work, mainly because I was not using a wool yarn. If I was w using a wool yarn, I probably would have. But I was using this cotton yarn that, this cotton bamboo yarn that seemed, it was very kind of slippery and drapery, dra drapey and just kind of loose to begin with. And I am a pretty loose knitter these days. The older I get, the my, my gauge has gotten just really, really relaxed. And so I was afraid that if I went up a needle size, that the, that the color work would just look horrendous because it would just be too loose. So I stuck with the normal needle size, which I, I think on that sweater was a size four or five. And at the end of the day, where the, where the color work is, is a little bit tighter than the rest of the stockinette. So, and once again, because it's cotton and bamboo, I blocked it and I tried to, you know, do the best I could to stretch that area when blocking it. But, and it's, it's, it's not bad. I mean, to the non-knitter, other people would not notice it and go, oh, that, that really looks tight and puckery there. You know, nobody probably would notice, but... I can kind of tell. So the, the odd thing, though, is as I thought about this, I'm still not sure I would make a different decision about changing the needle size because I'm still not convinced that, that going up a needle size, you know, wouldn't have been a bigger problem. So, but it's not perfect. But, hey, I'm brave. People, that's what we're here for. You just, just do what you can. Now, my save has nothing to do with that, but it does have to do with something else in the color knitting world. Okay. And it is a, a video that I came across, uh, oh, probably over a year ago. And I just thought it was so interesting that I, I made a note of it that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast at some point. It's a way to change, the, when you're changing yarn and you're not at the end of the row, and like I say, when you're knitting in the round, I guess you're never at the end of the row, but you're sort of changing yarn color. This video shows you that you, you knit up to the point where you want the color change to be. You insert a straight pin into that point in the, the, the working yarn. And then you unknit, careful that your straight pin stays where it's supposed to be. Okay. And then you use that as a mark and essentially what you do, and like I say, it's, it's hard to describe in an audio podcast, but we'll give you a link to this video. But it's, it's a, what I call a Russian spit splice, because it's a combining the spit splice join and the Russian join together to change colors, and, but do it in this exact spot. Oh. And I just thought it was like a really cool little tip. I can't remember. Now I can't remember who the, um, may have been Kate Atherley, but I'm probably getting that wrong. I don't remember who it was exactly that did the video on the MK. It's on the MDK site, but we'll give you okay. a link to that. But I just thought that was kind of a nifty trick. It sounds like, it sounds like a tool I need in my toolbox. So yes, I, you definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any craves? Actually, I do, thanks to you, or I think you solved my problem, and that's why I have this 
crave. I decided, I've, and I talked about this in the sweater episode, but I really, really, really want to do Fair Isle, the traditional Fair Isle. But I decided, I don't know that I want to commit to an entire sweater, and maybe what I really need is a Fair Isle project. Uh -huh. And you mentioned the Morehouse Farm yarn knit along. And so it is actually the Shetland Wool Week hat pattern that was chosen for this year. Right. It's called Katie's Kep by Wilma Mackelson. And I actually chose her color, one of her colorways, and I was able to find the Jamison and Smith two-ply jumper weight at a local yarn shop here in Colorado, up in Denver, and you're familiar with it, Fancy Tiger Crafts. Fancy Tiger, I've been there, yes. And I, um, and so I, and the pattern's free, by the way. Um, yes. Free pattern. Yep. I printed out the pattern. I ordered the yarn on Saturday, and I will be driving up to Denver. I'm in Colorado Springs. I'll be driving there to pick up my yarn curbside in another day or two. Okay. So, well, I am excited for you to cast on and try to catch up with me. I think I'm on row nine oh. of, of the chart now. So making progress with my <laughs> Fair Isle hat. <laughs> my crave are two little friends named Sven and Solvig. And I met a Sven and Svolvig at Vogue Knitting Live when you and I were taking that class with Susan B. Anderson. And she had, I, I guess at one time she had a kit for these characters. She, the kit is not available right now on her website. But her mother is the one that actually wrote this pattern 30 or 40 years ago. I had no idea her mother was a knitter. Yes, her mother, um, yeah, it's Carol B. Anderson is the author of this pattern. And you can only buy it, though, I think, on, on the, a website related to Susan. And it's not her Barrett Wool website. It's something else. It was very hard for me to figure out where I could buy the pattern when I went to Ravelry, but I, I did finally figure it out. And the original pattern, if you look at photos of people that knit the original ones from the, these were in the 60s or 70s, they're a little boring. But the people that have used Susan's kits, the sweaters on these two characters have a little bit more color and fair isle to them. The, 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 the hats and the, the sweaters on them are just more interesting. Anyway, they are just these two little kind of almost like gnome-like <laughs> characters. I don't know how else you describe them. Sven has like a long, you know, white beard and, you know, they're bundled up in, in these very long stocking caps and Fair Isle sweaters. And I just, when we were at that event in, in New York, I just fell in love with them. And I'm not really knitting a lot of toys these days, and I certainly don't need any toys for myself. But I just think Sven and Solvig have a, a future as one of my Christmas decorations in the future. So I, I hope to knit them, and I think they will set aside my Fair Isle need and like you I won't have to <laughs> knit myself a whole sweater <laughs> so all right well this sound like fun the second time around we were much much more efficient <laughs> in recording <laughs> uh, we shaved off over 10 minutes 
from our first record. So there so, you go. But this is not a pattern we're setting, is it? That we're going to do it this way in the future? No, we will remember to properly hit the record button and the button you have to hit after record in the future. And you're okay. going to be my eyes to make sure that recording button is going off in your screen. But next episode, we are going to steak. I'm very excited, Linda, because we're going to actually Zoom speak steak together we're going to in Zoom preparation. Together. Yes. Pat's in Colorado. I am in Texas. We both have projects that are ready to be steak. In the next week or so, we're going to do lots of research about steaking. Then we're mm -hmm. going to steak together. And then before August 1st, we're going to record an episode for all of you about our steaking adventures. So we're very and excited. We're yes. <laughs> so until then. Yes. Be, be brave. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information, check out Brave Knitting at Facebook or Ravelry Group. You can also find us on Instagram at BEE Brave Knitting and email us at BEE Brave Knitting at gmail.com.